Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Listen, we're just like that. We do the very same thing. Somebody says, yo, let's go over here. All right, let's go over here. And the Lord's saying, no, what about this straight and narrow we're on? Yeah, but they're all going over there. It's so easy for us to go astray. Why? Because we're sheep. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. So think for yourself. Read the word. Stay tight with the Lord. Be current with the Lord. Listen to and respond to Him. Part 2 of Blessed and Betrayed. We're in the first 35 verses of Matthew 26, and today we'll look closely at the Lord's Supper, including Jesus' revelation of Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial. So let's take up, starting in verse 6. We go back to our passage then, and we see that sacrifice, well, that is the essence of worship. And I want you to note that her worship was a sacrifice. This alabaster flask, very costly fragrant oil, we know from our other gospel accounts, it was about a year's wages worth of fragrant oil. A year's wages. Now listen, not only is that a costly gift to lavish on the Lord, how long would it take you to save a year's wages? But it's possible, even probable, that this was, well, her dowry, that, that this was given to her and it would have been sold by her or kept by her in order to provide and make it possible for her to be married. She is lavishing that which is so expensive and, and so precious to her. Well, and she's just lavishing it on the Lord. Now, not only, not only, does real worship involve sacrifice financially? It often requires sacrifice socially. And if you are a real worshiper of the Lord, those who don't know the Lord, those around you in the world, well, they're going to mock your worship. They're going to ridicule you and make fun of you and persecute you even possibly because you're a real worshiper of God. But I want to tell you, it can be worse than that. And here's why. See, see, Mary isn't being ridiculed by the world outside. She's not even being ridiculed by her peers. Not here, no. Mary's being ridiculed by her mentors, those who were the apostles, those who would be the foundation of the church. And they're looking, and you've got to know, it's Judas who first speaks up, though this gospel doesn't tell us so. When the disciples saw it, verse 8, they were indignant, saying, to what purpose is this waste? Listen, nothing you lavish upon the Lord, no act of sacrifice, worship unto the Lord, can ever be a waste. But they're saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much, and given to the poor. Well, that's true. She could have sold it and given the money to the poor. But listen, that's not why Judas said it. You see, Judas isn't a real worshiper of Jesus. You have to know. Jesus chose 12, but only 11 chose him back. Jesus loved 12, but only 11 re returned his love Judas never did. And here's what John 12, 6 says. Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. You see, the religious leaders, they worshipped their position, their power that the people coming around and adoring them and respecting and honoring them. 
Mary, she didn't care about any of that. She just cared about the Lord. In fact, get this. Every time you see her in Scripture, she is at the feet of the Lord. And I love that. The very first time we find her, her sister's baking up or cooking up a great feast for the Lord, and she's just serving away, and Mary's just sitting there, and Martha's getting hot. She's complaining. She's criticizing. She's comparing. And she's like, Lord, tell her to get with it. I'm doing all the work. And she's just sitting there. How does our Lord respond to such an accusation from one who claims to be worshiping him with their service? He says, listen, you're worried and distracted about so many things, but Mary has chosen the better part and I won't take it from her. How I love that. Our Lord is saying, this is more important to me, more acceptable to me than your worship. Now, don't misunderstand this. Her service could have been acceptable worship to the Lord. What, what made it not so? Well, it's easy. Instead of just serving as unto the Lord, she was comparing herself with her sister. She was criticizing her sister. She was complaining about her sister's lack of getting with the program. And be careful. Here's why. As you grow in the Lord and opportunities open up for you to serve the Lord, it's very easy to move from that place where you're just so blown away that, wow, the Lord's gifted me and he's called me and he's using me and, Lord, thank you, to, where's everybody else? Why am I the only one who has this passion, who shares this vision? Why am I the only... Listen, you're not. Lots of people are serving the Lord and they're serving the Lord in the way God's leading them to serve. I've watched it happen. People get involved in youth ministry and pretty soon, what's wrong with everybody? Don't they care about the youth? People get involved in missions. What's wrong with everybody? Don't they care about the lost? Of course we do. But we're not all called to youth ministry. We're not all called to the mission field. But we are all called to serve our Lord and to serve one another. And if I'm serving and I'm serving acceptably, God receives that as an act of worship. But if I'm comparing, if I'm complaining, if I'm criticizing, or you're doing those things, listen, you need to stop. Not stop serving. I know some of you are thinking, hey, that's the solution. I'm complaining, I'm comparing, I'm criticizing, I should just stop serving. No, you should stop complaining. You should repent. You should say, Lord, forgive me. You've given me opportunity and I seized it with such joy. And now, Lord, I'm so ashamed. I, I don't know how I went from so grateful to so ungrateful, from so useful to so, well, Lord, change me, change my heart, change my mind, deal with me. That's the prayer we should be offering to the Lord today. Well, Mary worshiped acceptably. She offered a sacrifice that cost her financially, that cost her socially, as these disciples, really egged on by Judas, begin to say, yeah, what a waste, what a waste. Note what the Lord has to say about that. Jesus, when he was aware of it, said, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Note this. Mary's worship and sacrifice is received and approved by our Lord. He protects her when people begin to attack her. She doesn't have to stand up for herself and neither do you. 
If your parents or your children or your brothers or your sisters or those who know you or work alongside of you or go to school with you, if they mock what you do, your giving, your serving, your sacrifice unto the Lord, let the Lord deal with that. Don't get into it with them. Why? It's really something they can't understand in the first place. You're doing it because you know how good he is and how good he's been. And you just want to say, Lord, I love you with my life. Well, Mary's worship was also in response to Jesus' revelation. And it's interesting to me that Mary, who was always at the feet of Jesus, choosing what he calls the better part, well, she had spiritual insight that it would appear at this point the disciples themselves lacked. The apostles themselves lacked. Why? He says, she's done it for my burial. It would seem that she understood this was her opportunity while he was alive to lavish her love upon him. And I'm thinking, because man, I've done far, far too many funerals. I've been at so many of those well, and they're, they're a mixed blessing. When a believer dies, you know he goes to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We rejoice over his or her new reality. But man, there are always grieving people left behind. And the, the fact that, well, hey, at least they're with the Lord. It doesn't, it doesn't take away the pain and the grief that we encounter and deal with. But here's the point. At almost every funeral, people stand up and they say such wonderful things about that person who died. And so often people stand and say, oh, I wish I had told them face to face or I wish I'd told them more. But man, they were such a blessing to me and I, I, I just love them so much. And listen, take opportunity. Learn from Mary. You don't have to wait for the death. You see, others would appear after Jesus died. They would bring ointment and spices to anoint the body. But but listen, it's not like it's needed or appreciated. Now is the time to lavish your love on people you do love, to make that love known in the most practical, positive way. She did it. She sacrificed. And it was acceptable to him. It was in response to all he'd done. It was in response to his revelation. And get this, the whole house was filled with the sweet, sweet fragrance. It was a blessing to all and a memorial to her. I'm certain if you knew that some act of sacrifice on your part would be recorded somehow and everyone would know about it, how hard would that be? Hey, whatever you want is like, hey, I am going to get you. You'll, you'll put me in the book. I'll get pressed for this. I'm there, Lord. What do you want? But, but you see, that wasn't what was going on with Mary. How would I, why would I even think of something like that? Am I suggesting I'm capable of such foolishness? Of course I am. And of course you are as well. If we think people are watching, if we're going to be applauded or approved or acknowledged, of course we're going to do good things. But it's the right thing and the wrong motivation. It may be a blessing to people and they may applaud and think highly of us, but our Lord says, unacceptable to me. That's not why you do it. It's not why you give. It's not why you serve. It's not why you suffer. It's not why you sing. It's not acceptable. Well, speaking of unacceptable worship, we find Judas, who I am absolutely convinced, worshipped stuff. How do we know that? Because he was a thief, and thieves worship stuff. I know we live in a day where people say, well, people really can't help stealing. 
It's kleptomania. It's, it's a disorder. They don't really know what they're doing. You know, doesn't the Bible says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing? Well, no, that's not what it means, you see. Kleptomania is, well, it's a euphemism made up by people who would like to suggest that we're not responsible for the decisions, the choices, the actions that we, that we take. But we are responsible, and Judas was greedy. He was covetous. I don't have to read that into him. That's the heart of what makes a person a thief. And so listen, Judas went to the chief priest. What are you willing to give me, he says in verse 15, if I deliver him to you? And they, they, they counted to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Now here it is. 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11.12 says it would be 30 pieces of silver. God knew it. He prophesied it. It was recorded in scripture. It had to happen. But Judas is still fully responsible for his decision and his choice. You see, sometimes in the books and the movies about the disciples, it's suggested that Judas really didn't know what was going on. He was just sort of a pawn in the game. That's not true. Jesus said he was a thief. Jesus said he was the son of perdition. Jesus says in a moment, woe to that man. It would have been better for him if he'd never been born. Judas knew what he was doing. And though I already mentioned it, Jesus chose 12, while well, 11 chose him back. Jesus loved 12, 11 loved him back. Judas loved stuff. He loved silver. He loved money. He was a man who was greedy. And by the way, if you are not greedy at all, you are an amazing American. Because, hey, th that's, that's it. Now, I, I am so grateful. I don't want anyone to misunderstand. I am so grateful to live in a country with the freedoms we enjoy and the opportunities we enjoy. And I think that we can seize them and we can do great things with them. But at the same time, you know, the Bible says a man's heart devises his way. And the Lord directs his steps. That means you set your heart on the Lord and he puts you on a straight and narrow path that he wants you to walk. And every day you're on that path, walking with him, following after him, there are voices out here saying, hey, this is where it's really at. This is life. This is excitement. This is what it's about. And there are voices over here and there are voices up here and there are voices down there. But, but here's the point. If you continue to walk that straight and narrow, you will worship in spirit and in truth. And the moment your heart goes elsewhere, well, now you're worshiping someone or something else. Now you've moved away from, well, in any heart, any way, how do you get back? You, you reset your heart on the Lord. You, you acknowledge that, Lord, I've strayed. I've, I have gotten sort of tripped out on who I could be or what I could accomplish or, or what I could have. Lord, forgive me that. It isn't where I started. It's not where I want to be. Well... In any case, at this point, he decides, he makes the deal to sell out his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. They gather for the feast of unleavened bread and the disciples come saying, where do you want us to prepare the feast for the Passover? And he says, go to the city to a certain man. Say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I'll keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed and prepared the Passover and when evening had come, he came down with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each one of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Is that refreshing? For all the ways these guys mess up, how wonderful and refreshing that they're not saying, Could it be him? Or I know it's going to be him. Or, or, or Lord, well, it might be me, but I'm not, it's not my fault. 
No, they're asking the right question, and it's the question we should always be asking. When the Lord warns us about sin, either directly or indirectly, we want to say, Lord, are you talking to me? Are you speaking to me personally? Is this just not about them? And, and then, is it really about us? And could it be me? They ask, and we need to ask, could I be one who would betray my Lord? And what would cause me to sell him out? Listen, Judas was so greatly privileged. Beyond anything we've experienced, he walked personally with the Lord, discipled by the Lord. But he never really submitted his life to the Lord. Well, he answered and said, It's he who's dipped his hand with me in the dish. He'll betray me, and the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he'd never been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said, you have said it. Now the Lord's provision, the Lord's plan of redemption is spelled out in these next few verses. And then our need for redemption. So, so track with me for just a few more moments. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said to them, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sin. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Hey, he, he gives in these symbols of his broken body and shed blood, well, an opportunity to rem remember him. And Paul later, he gets this, he applies this saying, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says, I won't drink again until I do it with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, when we preach the gospel, we're sharing Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. But inherent and built into that is the ascension and then the promise to return and the kingdom to come. And what he's saying is, listen, every time you take the bread and every time you take the cup, I want you to see beyond them. I want you to see past them. I want you to see a reality. That reality is Jesus' death on your behalf and on mine. Do we have reason to worship him? Listen. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. He didn't just say it and preach it. He did it. Finally, we look at our need for redemption. And you'll see how clearly we're in this passage. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, verse 30. And Jesus said, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. Listen, Jesus quoting the Old Testament says, all are going to be made to stumble. All are going to be made to stumble. I know that our only right interpretation contextually would be he's talking about them. But I would suggest to you when it comes to application, he's certainly talking about us. Why? All of us will fail. All of us have failed and we will fail again. We have faltered and we will falter again. We have fallen and we will fall again. Here's the point. Jesus tells us in advance, here's my solution. Here's the bread and here's the cup. Not the symbols, the reality behind the symbols. His solution to sin. His sacrifice for sin. The price of redemption. His broken body. His shed blood. And here he says, all of you will be made to stumble. 
All of you will fall away. All of you will falter. Why? Hey, the Old Testament says so, and I assure you now, the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But he says, I will be raised, and afterward, I'll meet you there in Galilee. I'll be there. I'll go before you. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Now, was Peter sincere? You have to know. Absolutely. Did Peter believe that he could hang if no one else did? Absolutely. Listen, Jesus had changed his name from Simon, which means a reed. It reed just vacillates in the wind. It just moves with the direction of the wind. And he said, you're going to be Peter. And here's Peter's problem. He thinks he's already there. Peter means rock, solid, you know, secure. And Peter's saying, hey, I know what I was, and I know what you've made me. What Peter's missing is that he's still in process. See? He's not all the way there. He's still a bit of a Simon. And yeah, he's, he's a Peter too. And you'll note if you read through the Gospels and you're sensitive to it, sometimes Jesus says, Simon, Simon. And sometimes he says, Peter, Peter. And, but, but the point being this, Peter says, listen, you really don't know me, Lord. You don't know me like, well, let me explain it to you. I know you mean all or you say all, but you mean all except me, Right? But what does all actually mean? It means all. And when he says all are going to fall, all are going to stumble, all are going to falter, he meant all of them. Well, Peter says, that's not going to happen to me. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. See it. When the Lord tells you you are in danger of stumbling and falling, if you say, Lord, you really don't know what you're talking about, you're putting yourself in a very precarious position I don't think it was essential that Peter deny his Lord three times. It would have been bad enough had he simply, well, deserted him like the rest. But because of his affirmation and because of his pride and because he didn't really see that he was the same as the rest, the Lord says, no, it'll be worse for you than for them. And Peter, in response to that, has he gotten it? Oh, not yet. Even if I have to die with you, he says, I will not deny you. You've heard the saying, famous last words, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Listen, it's a point I want to leave you with. I want you to consider it. When, well, a couple things. When Jesus warns us or we see something in Scripture and the Spirit of God begins to say, hey, this is you. He's talking to you. Take heed. Pay attention. He doesn't warn us unnecessarily. The other thing is, become a Christian, if you haven't already, who really thinks for yourself. Don't follow the crowd, even this crowd, and here's why. When Judas said, what a waste, what did the disciples say? Yeah, what a waste. And, and when Peter says, well, hey, I'll die for you, they're like, yeah, us too. Listen, we're just like that. We do the very same thing. Somebody says, yo, let's go over here. All right, let's go over here. And the Lord's saying, no, what about this straight and narrow we're on? Yeah, but they're all going over there. It's so easy for us to go astray. Why? Because we're sheep. He says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. So think for yourself. Read the word. Stay tight with the Lord. Be current with the Lord. Listen to and respond to Him. And if you find today that maybe there's been a time in the past, you're looking back and you're doing some soul searching, and you'd say, you know, there was a time where I sang 
and wholeheartedly. I didn't care what I sounded like. I didn't care what people thought of me. I just loved the Lord so much. I just poured out my heart to Him. And I served Him without complaining or comparing or criticizing. And, and I gave. And, and I wasn't worried about net or gross. or I wasn't worried about, well, are you sure this is going to work out in the long run? Whatever I did, I just did it because I loved and lavished that love upon you, Lord. If that's where you've been and you're no longer there, get back to it today. If you've never been there, this is the will of God for you, that you become a real worshiper in spirit and in truth. And if you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus, today is the day of salvation. As we think of the ways that we can worship the Lord, and not just when we're in church, but with all the other days and hours of our lives, it's a good idea to take a look at what the Apostle Paul said about it in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you, and until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.